Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A new week is in the books, and we are here to talk all about it here on Action Pack, part of the FFSN College Football Feed. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I am Corey Cohen, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Andy Pregler. Andy, how are you doing today? You know, I am doing a lot better than some of my brethren from the northeast of the ACC. It's a weird week to say it, but all eyes were north of the Mason-Dixon line when it came to the ACC this week. And I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of reveling in it. <laughs> it was pretty It was pretty interesting, right? Like that we weren't really looking at Clemson. We weren't really looking down in Chapel Hill. It was, we weren't in Tallahassee. You know, the games, they were up north. They were in Morgantown, which that's a whole other conversation about north, south, all that. They were in uh, Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. They were in Indiana. It was, it was an interesting week. We're going to get right into it to talk about all these uh, most exciting games in week three in the ACC. Then, of course, we'll preview week four and give our top five. But we have to start with the backyard brawl in Morgantown, West Virginia, Pitt versus WVU. And this is my account. For those that don't know, I run the Pitt Talk Network here on the Fans First Sports Network. And... Uh, I'm dreading having to talk about this. Pitt lost to the heated rivals, West Virginia, by a score of 17 to 6. Under the most putrid offense I have ever seen in my entire life, Phil Jerkovic, the Pitt quarterback, transferred from Boston College, ACC fans know him, is the worst Pitt player 
I think I have ever seen put on a uniform for the Panthers. He was absolutely dreadful in this game and in week two against Cincinnati. He went eight for 20. He had 81 yards passing, no touchdowns, three interceptions. And it was way beyond the stat line because the balls that he threw were dreadful. They weren't even near a pit receiver most of the time. He couldn't throw it down the field. He couldn't throw a three-yard pass in the flat. Anything he threw just about was off target in some way, shape, or form. Some of the balls were going out of bounds. Some were falling straight to the grass. Some, even he found a receiver, but the receiver had to do something amazing just to catch the ball because it wasn't actually to the receiver. And then there were other plays where he threw it directly to a Mountaineer. His first interception, I believe, was two plays after Pitt's defense forced a fumble, and there was a big momentum swing. And like two plays later, Bill Jerkovic throws a pass right to West Virginia to intercept it where the Mountaineers now have the ball in the red zone. The second Phil Jerkovic interception, he had his running back, Rodney Hammond, 10 yards down the field, wide open for a first down and could have gotten way more. There was no one near him. He had his wide receiver, Bub Means, 30 yards down the field, down at the 20-yard line, or the, excuse me, the 15-yard line, wide open. He had beat the safety, so there was no one behind him. That was a walk-in touchdown. Jerkovic decides to throw it. His mechanics are atrocious. He cannot throw a spiral. He throws it intending to get it to the 15-yard line of West Virginia, but it only makes it to their 30-yard line where there is not a single Pitt Panther receiver in sight. It goes right to a West Virginia defensive back who runs it way down the field. And then he caps off his lovely evening with a third interception to officially end the game. But both the two interceptions broke the back of the Panthers. The offense was dreadful. The decision to keep him in there after the Cincinnati game in week two was awful, let alone week three to play him against West Virginia and to keep him in there. Every single drive starting from halftime, I kept wondering, how on earth are they not pulling him? They have a backup who has college experience. Christian Bayer was a backup at Penn State. He got some snaps in. He's now in his third year in college. They also have Nate Yarnell, who played a game last year for Pitt, all on the depth chart. And I can understand a little bit starting him against West Virginia because he at least didn't turn the ball over against Cincinnati, even though he was terrible. I could even understand playing him throughout the first half because the first drive, the team looked good when they were handing it off and you don't want to make a change mid-game. Okay, I get that. But at halftime, how the coaches sent Jerkovic out there, how they didn't make a switch, and then every single possession after that, when it was clear the offense was inept, they couldn't do anything with a quarterback who was not able to throw the ball, who has the yips, who has something where he cannot be a quarterback. And every single drive, I thought, now, surely they have to pull him. There's no way they can put him back in there. And every single drive I saw on Twitter, online, whatever, Jerkovic still has his helmet on. He's warming up. None of the other quarterbacks seem to be ready. Jerkovic going back in. What on earth were they thinking? They have now lost two games because Phil Jerkovic is an atrocious quarterback who has lost whatever ability he used to have. He is the college football equivalent of Ben Simmons, where he just forgot how to play the sport, apparently. 
and he is just fundamentally broken. And the coaches are still putting him out there. And because of that, because of their stubbornness to play him, when it's clear to everyone that he is toast, they have lost a winnable Cincinnati game. They have lost a winnable West Virginia game. They could have been 3-0. and They are 1-2. and Pitt is a bad team because of one position and the coaches deciding what to do with that one position. The season is done. Bowl eligibility, I don't think, is on the table unless they change quarterbacks and have a miraculous turnaround. This season went from, what, week one we were talking about Pitt, maybe the fourth best team, third third or fourth best team in the ACC. They are one of the worst teams in the ACC because of this one position and the most dreadful quarterback play that I've ever seen. That's my spiel. Andy, by all means, talk me off the ledge, third-party account, red team this, whatever. There is a lot being put on Phil Dracovic, a quarterback who is a fifth-year senior. And a lot of the conversation around Dracovic has been, he was so good at Boston College. And then you realize the caveat was, he was so good at Boston College in 2020. And I was recently listening to another uh, college football podcast that was talking about how it's becoming more and more apparent that 2020 as a data point should just be thrown out. Like that season was so different and weird and schools had different protocols. Students had different lives. It was just so out of the ordinary that trying to extrapolate performance from that season forward or backward just didn't make any sense. And so if you remove 2020 from Phil Dracovic's career ladder what you have is a 2021 season where he only played six games and he only had uh, his quarterback rating in a lot of those games was was pretty solid his ESPN QBR over the season was 84.3 but then in 2022 he only is able to play uh in seven games and that rating drops precipitously down to 36.1 And then you have the disaster that is this year at Pitt. And I think what we're realizing is that Dracovic, after he got hurt, is just not the same quarterback that he was in 2020. And at BC, he had Zay Flowers to really cover up a lot of his mistakes. And for those that have watched the Baltimore Ravens in two games this year, Zay Flowers came out of college and is arguably one of the best wide receivers in his division, he's which really includes good. Jamar Chase. Yeah, he's really um, good. Th- there's a lot to be said here that I bu- I think when we look at Phil Dracovic, it's a very classic example of you see what you want to see. If you wanted to see a good, solid veteran senior quarterback, you could see that. And I think that the coaching staff, and you've mentioned this before in past weeks, and I think it continues to bear repeating, Narduzzi's blind spots for the offense, both in evaluation of offensive talent and in coaching decisions on the offensive side of the ball, have been glaring. And Jerkovich checks all of those boxes where if you're not actually looking at the game film and you're not actually looking at his mechanics on a day-in, day-out basis you can see the things that would say this man will be a successful quarterback at Pittsburgh. And I think the reality of the situation is that there is enough of a body of work to also show that this was a very likely outcome. 
And I don't think, I think the most interesting part about this game in general was that Neil Brown was going to be fired at the end of this year. West Virginia is not going to do well in the Big 12. They are going to struggle to get bowl eligible. They're probably going to struggle to get to four wins, let alone five or six wins. You want both versions of the backyard brawl. Neil Brown is going to get at least one more year because of this game, which I find infinitely hilarious. <laughs> I think on the other side of the ball, you have a Pat Narduzzi that just took Pitt to the ACC championship game relatively recently and is now going to be on the hot seat if he doesn't make yet another offensive coordinator change. And what's even crazier about this is that if he waits until the offseason to make this change and brings in whatever hotshot OC he thinks can help save his repair his image. The problem is that when you bring in a new OC and you bring in a new quarterback, things very rarely go well that first season. There's usually a, a period of adjustment. Like this is really a situation where realistically we could be talking about a two-year stretch for Pitt this year with what's not working and next year with what you hope is something brand new where Pitt is significantly held back because of this one side of the ball. And I don't know what you do with Narduzzi after that. And I think it's one of the more fascinating storylines to watch. Uh, the Michigan State job is more than likely going to be opened up. And I think before the season, if you had told me Michigan State is going to be looking for a head coach at the end of the year, Pat Narduzzi would be at the top of my shortlist to go and jump to Michigan State. However, after all this has happened, I do not think that anybody is touching Narduzzi with a 10-foot pole in terms of poaching. And I think if you're Pitt, you're you're giving him an ultimatum that you have to do something differently on offense here uh, from a schematic perspective. And I'm just curious for you, Corey. Like, I am a Pittsburgh NFL fan, and the city of Pittsburgh is ready to boot one offensive coordinator <laughs> of a football team that plays at Heinz Field into the Allegheny River. I'm starting to think it might just be every offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh now. <laughs> it's it's not going great. And the irony for, for people that aren't as tuned in with Pittsburgh football and offensive coordinators is that the offensive coordinator for the Steelers, Matt Canada, used to be the offensive coordinator for Pitt under Pat Narduzzi. And they had a phenomenal offense in 2016 led by Nate Peterman, led by James Conner, led by Tyler. Like, they, they were exceptionally good. And then Matt Canada leaves, goes, takes the OC job at LSU. Pat Narduzzi gets pissed off. They are not on speaking terms. They're not on good terms anymore. Matt Canada flames out there. I think Pat Narduzzi at the time said, come back for one more year, then we'll help you get a head coaching job. And he didn't do it. He took the money. He went to LSU and that sort of burned that bridge. So it, it is funny that both offensive coordinators are in the doghouse and deservedly so. Uh, Phil Jerkovic, as you said, you see what you want to see. On one hand, he was a great offensive, great high school player in uh, the Pittsburgh area, went to Pine Richland High School. And he at the time, oh, he should go to Pitt, all that. He goes to Notre Dame. Doesn't work out in Notre Dame. Brian Kelly even wants him to move to tight end. So he transfers and goes to Boston College. He has one decent year there. Then the rest, he's okay. 
But again, you see what you want to see. Oh, he's a great high school player. He's from Pittsburgh. He's coming home. He's with the offensive coordinator that he had in 2020 in that one good year in Frank Signetti. Let's pair them up again back in the home city for both of them. And uh, and let's do this. So you could see why they thought it might work out. I'm not faulting them for bringing him in, but it's not working out. And he's not getting any better. He's only getting worse. He is a, in fact, you said fifth year. He's actually a sixth year senior because of the red shirt and then COVID, you know, in Notre Dame and then COVID. He is a sixth year senior. He is a 23 year old grown man. And he is this bad at football. He not only can he not throw the ball, he can't do much of anything. And his attitude is terrible. He throws these passes that are to no one and he looks dejected. He looks pissed off. I'm not sure at whom, if it's pissed off with himself or with receivers or with the game plan. I don't know what, but he does not have any of the body language that a leader would have. The announcers said that on the broadcast on ABC, Sean McDonough pointed out the body language is, or I think it was Greg McElroy, former quarterback. The body language is concerning. He does not look like a leader for this team. He does not look like someone who who can turn this thing around. And it is just so clear to me that while I could see why they thought it might work, it is not working. It's not going to work. It's done. The experiment has failed. And this coaching staff is incredibly stubborn to not move on. They should have moved on midway in Cincinnati against Cincinnati. They should have moved on after Cincinnati going into West Virginia. They should have moved on at halftime in West Virginia. And then every single uh, new drive after that, if they don't start a new quarterback, new quarterback against North Carolina, I have no idea how I'm supposed to be able to watch that because it's going to be a bloodbath. This offense is atrocious. They scored six points against the 111th best pass defense in the country. West Virginia is not a good team. Pitt is just awful on offense. And as you said, Pat Narduzzi, his stubbornness is shooting him in the foot. It is his Achilles heel. The offense in his Monday press conference, he said that he spends 80% of his time on defense. And then when it comes to personnel, things like that, he sort of leans on Frank Signetti and the offensive staff. So he's essentially blaming them for not saying, yeah, Phil Dracovic is cooked. Now, as of recording of this, the plan for, according to Pat Narduzzi, is still to start Phil Dracovic. If he were to make a change, I don't think he would have said that in the Monday press conference. So we'll have to wait and see. But at a certain point, Pat Narduzzi has to understand that his offensive coordinator is going to lose him his job if it is, in fact, Frank Signetti that is the reason they're sticking with Phil Dracovic. And ultimately, Pat Narduzzi is the head coach. He has to be able to say, I don't care what my offensive coordinator says. I'm the head coach. I have eyes. I can see that this quarterback is god-awful, and we have to make a change before the season is down the toilet. Honestly, it already is. To me, that was during West Virginia. They could have turned it around won that game if they had made a change at quarterback and been two and one at this point and a chance to at least have a decent season. To me, the fact that they let Dracovic finish that game was waving a white flag. It was stubbornness that already has ruined this season. And it is stubbornness that could get Narduzzi on the hot seat. Right now, he's got people to throw under the bus. He can make a change at quarterback. He can make a change at offensive coordinator. But the next person that comes in 
this has to come from the top down, from Heather Like, the athletic director, who does a phenomenal job at Pitt. She's an incredible AD. Has to say to Pat Narduzzi, he's got to have, as you said, an ultimatum. He's got to have a leash. You bring in an offensive coordinator who's modern. Yes, they can be run first, like you like it, but he's got to be modern. He's got to know what he's doing. He's got to have better talent talent evaluation than to bring in someone like Phil Jerkovic. And you, you have to bring in someone who, if you're going to essentially defer all of the decision-making to your offensive coordinator, they have to be better than Frank Signetti. And they have to be more discernible in who they trust a quarterback than someone like Frank Signetti trusting Phil Jerkovic. I think that if you are looking for any shred of optimism here, uh, we saw Nebraska and Jeff Sims, a very high-profile ACC transfer uh, from Georgia Tech, went to Nebraska. Jeff Sims really struggled the first two weeks of the season, and the entire country watched that Colorado-Nebraska game and watched Jeff Sims basically lose the starting job as the game was going. And while everybody mulled about a quarterback shift taking place at halftime, uh, you know, the, the Nebraska opted to remain with Sims for the majority of that game. And this week against the Northern Illinois team that did beat Boston college, Nebraska made it, made a switch. Uh, Hendrik Herrenberg, uh, Heinrich Herrenberg, a sophomore, from Nebraska, not Germany, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, it, it came in and started the game in place of Sims. Sims is officially the backup there. Nebraska won 35 to 11, even though the expectation was is that, you know, if you, you play Sims against Colorado in the second half, you're basically saying that he's the starting quarterback. We saw it this week with a, in the other direction where Alabama did uh, moved away from Milrow as their starting quarterback. And Nick Saban came out after the game and said that he was the third best quarterback in practice all week. So he was third on the depth chart. Like there's, I think that there's still time for a quarterback change to happen going into this week, but I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. If you are a backup quarterback on this pit roster and you cannot beat out Djokovic in practice, this is going to be something that needs to be very heavily prioritized this off season where you're not just bringing in one guy, you're bringing in multiple guys, multiple transfers to try to fix the situation because clearly that room is just not where it needs to be. Um, and I think that we'll talk about the Pitt UNC game a little bit. We're going to talk about UNC here in a little bit, but it's crazy to me how much this Pitt UNC game's tenor has shifted from preseason. Um, this was going, this week four was supposed to be the week where we figured out who our contenders and pretenders were um, between FSU Clemson and UNC Pitt. And now we're sitting here like, well, this, the, those, those two games are, Things that are happening. <laughs> yep, they have certainly fallen a few rungs down the ladder. Yeah, my my last thing on, on Pitt, West Virginia, is that I'm not 100% out on Frank Signetti because I think there's only, in terms of his play calling, there's only so much you can do when Phil Jakovic is your quarterback. Now, if it is, in fact, his decision and Pat Narduzzi is just trusting him that Phil Jakovic should be the starting quarterback, then I have a problem with Phil Jakovic. And they do have a longstanding relationship going back to BC. So there I do have a problem. But if they make a change, a quarterback, I could see things turning around. I'm not ready to throw it all out. But if Phil Dracovic plays another snap, then I am. They cannot afford to keep doing this. They couldn't afford to do it already. They're one and two when they should be three and oh. And to me, it's Phil Dracovic should never play another snap. 
Frank Signetti is on a short leash and Pat Narduzzi's seat because of this stubbornness to stick with Jerkovic, it, it it's going to get his seat pretty darn hot. It's not a hot seat yet. I don't think it would be this next off season, but boy, his back is going to be up against a wall. If this season goes the way that I think it's going to go, which is certainly not bowl eligibility, maybe three, maybe four wins. Okay. Let's move on because uh, I, I can only take so much of that. Let's talk about an ACC versus ACC game. Florida State versus Boston College, a game we did not have on our radar because, frankly, we thought this would be a blowout. Florida State, one of the best teams in the country. Boston College, they're going to fire their head coach maybe any day. And this was a close game. It was a slow first quarter. Boston, we thought, huh, maybe Boston College, or, you know, they're looking decent. They, they're holding FSU. Then Florida State starts pulling away. At one point, they have a 31 to 10 lead. But then they let the Eagles go on a 19 to nothing run and Boston College could have gotten the ball back in the final moments for a chance to win the game down just barely. But a face mask penalty killed them. It ended the game. Florida State kept it. They won 31 to 29. Boston College just buried by 18 penalties, 131 yards from those penalties. But this game was so much more exciting than we thought it would be. And Florida State does not look like we thought that they would against Boston College. I think this is a classic Florida State got caught looking ahead game. Uh, you know, you're going up to BC where there's just not a great crowd environment. It's not something you typically have to prepare for as a visiting team. And they did not bring their best effort. And you never, no team is as bad as they look on their worst day. No team is as good as they look on their best day. However, I do think that if you were a BC fan, normally when a game like this takes place, you're looking at the the small school that didn't pull the upset and you're going, oh, there's a lot to be positive here. And you mentioned it in uh, right off the top. Boston College's penalties were the reason that they did not win this game. 18 for 131 is absolutely unacceptable. And it is exactly the reason why PC lost this game because of that face masking penalty. And to me, that is explicitly coaching. And I feel like this has, this game was a great summation of the Jeff Halfley experience at BC. You have all the potential in the world. BC from an offensive perspective is able to do things that you never thought a BC team could do, but the defense just isn't there. And there is just a level of coaching that Halfley has yet to instill in this team that needs to be there if BC is going to get over the hump. And the even more damning part for Halfley is that at BC, you've seen this with Steve Adazio and know that it can be done. So this is not a situation where, oh, these are the challenges of working at a school like BC. This is an issue where Halfley just hasn't figured out how to get this program into a disciplined place without relying on an entire army of transfer students. So for me, I'm less worried about Florida State. I think that this was very clearly a look-ahead game for them. I am majorly concerned about BC moving forward because we've seen now they almost lost to NIU and they were lucky to take that game into halftime. They had a weather delay that basically allowed them to regroup when they were about to give the ball back to Holy Cross, which would have meant a loss to an FCS team. They had a chance to beat a Florida State team, but they were the reason why they didn't win that game, not Florida State. To me, you have now what is looking like a very strong resume of a team 
that is going to find ways to lose games instead of finding ways to win games. Yeah, it's 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 odd because on one hand, if you're Jeff Halfley, Halfley, you make the case, well, look, we nearly beat Florida State. I'm I'm not too bad a coach, am I? But on the other hand, as you just said, they lost the game because of those penalties, and that comes down to coaching. So to me, this was Boston College. They gave it their best shot. Congrats to them. There's a lot to like in terms of the talent that's there and what they could build, but clearly this coach is not it. Jeff Halfley is going to have to go at some point. And it, it was an incredible battle that they gave Florida state. It was a really entertaining game. As I said, they've got some players. Castellanos was a really good quarterback and he's just a sophomore. If they can keep him, I think he's got a lot of talent, but they gave Florida state everything they had and they should have won, which would have been incredible. But ultimately I think it still has to end with Jeff Halfley losing his job at a certain point. We'll talk more about Florida state. When we talk about the preview coming up with Clemson, let's go on to Minnesota versus North Carolina. This was a game we thought would tell us a little bit about both programs for North Carolina. Are they more like the team that beat South Carolina or more like the team that needed double overtime to beat app state? Seems more like the former. They handled Minnesota 31 to 13 victory. Yeah, I didn't love the Minnesota game script or play calling here. Uh, It seemed as if they were afraid to kind of target some of their best receivers for fear that North Carolina had schemed their defense in that way. But uh, this was the Drake May show. Drake May is the best quarterback in the ACC. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He will be one of the first quarterbacks off the board the next April when the NFL draft comes around, I think it's really obvious that if you are playing North Carolina, you have two options uh, defensively in order to try to slow them down. The first is to, uh, you know, penalize them, play dirty, hope that you can get away with it, do something. Uh, The second option is that you need to run an offensive game plan that keeps UNC off the field because they are going to put up their points. They're going to get theirs. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident saying that UNC is probably the most consistent team in the conference to date in that, you know, that they are going to score on offense and you know, that their defense is a little bit questionable. I think Florida state we've seen have the ups and the downs and dealing with the struggles of being the contender in the conference for the first time. I'm interested to see if they can kind of become the more consistently good opponent, but I've been, I've been really impressed with this UNC team this year. I was not high on them going into this season, but they've just really put together three games where the app state game was weird and it was a rivalry game. And so I'm willing to chalk it up more to that than to North Carolina actually having any major deficits. Yeah, I think App State and Old Dominion, there should just be a thing. Do not schedule above their name (laughs) out of full respect because both of those programs can bring your team a a nightmare. Uh, It just means so much to those teams like App State, like Old Dominion. And there's just something in those programs. They can pull off some some big upsets or near upsets. I'm on the same page. I think North Carolina is really good. I think Drake May is phenomenal. He did have a couple of interceptions. We have seen that. So when you look at the stat line, they're 
it's not incredible in terms of, say, trying to go for the Heisman. I'm not sure how that's going to hurt him. He's got four touchdowns, four interceptions at the moment. But in terms of scoring points, leading your team down the field, I fully believe in Drake May. I think he's a, a really good quarterback. And to me, this was North Carolina just shoring up everything, calming the waters, getting back to the way that they play football and reminding people who they are. And that, again, is more like the team that beat South Carolina and now beat a what was a 2-0 Minnesota team and not the team that struggled against App State. I think that is a bit more of, of an outlier. Uh, let's move on to a game that I am uh, that's fully in your account. I'm very curious to hear what you thought. Syracuse against Purdue. This is another ACC Big Ten matchup. We thought we would learn a lot about both of these programs from this game. Syracuse defeated Purdue in Indiana 35 to 20. Andy, what did you learn about your squad? What I learned was before the game even started, Aronde Gadsden Jr. is out for the year. The number one receiver on the Syracuse Orange, a preseason first team all ACC player, is going to miss the rest of the season with a Liss Frank. Uh, injury on his foot. It, they are unclear if it requires surgery or how bad it is, but to kind of give you uh, some context, if you've not heard this, this is the type of injury that had sidelined Calvin Ridley for two years, Chet Holmgren for a year. There is a potential that Aronde Gadsden has some really long-term injury concerns because of this, and that's really upsetting to see for a player that was coming into his own last season and was expected to be a force this season. Uh, Syracuse was also down three uh, projected starting offensive linemen for this game, which was concerning. And with all of that, they still put up a dominating offensive performance. I was uh, Garrett Schrader rushing for four touchdowns and, and 200 yards is going to get all of the headlines. But I thought what was most impressive about that outing was that it was a very schematically chosen approach to attacking Purdue. Purdue came in and basically told Syracuse that they were not going to get any of the sideline throws that Syracuse has liked to use so far this season against uh, Colgate and Western Michigan. They forced Syracuse to throw deep down the middle of the field and deep down the field in general. And Garrett Schrader was able to make those throws. His receivers just dropped them. So Syracuse immediately pivoted out of that and started trying to run the ball. And Purdue's defensive plan was, we are going to plug the middle. We are not going to allow you to hit the A-gaps in any way, shape, or form. And Syracuse responded by breaking out an old-school NCAA EA Sports video game version of the read option and just running edge-to-edge and dominated Purdue. Uh, The Purdue defense was exhausted every time they came out of the field. If you haven't seen it, Garrett Schrader twice pulled the Peyton Manning bootleg fake to perfection because of how overly aggressive Purdue was at guarding the middle run options on any kind of, uh, you know, uh, read option that Syracuse ran. So I came away very impressed with Syracuse's uh, coaching staff with their schematic approaches to the game on both sides of the ball. I think it's really clear to say that Syracuse is probably at the top end of that middle class in the ACC. I don't know if Syracuse is actually good. We're going to have a couple of weeks to figure that out because I think Purdue was also dealing with a lot of injuries. I also don't think Purdue is that great of a team. I, I don't know if I would put Syracuse in like the top four or five of the ACC right now. 
What I will say is that if you are an FSU or a Clemson or North Carolina and you're playing Syracuse, this is not a game that you want to have, you know, your work, you only want to be bringing 40% effort or 40% of your best effort against this. I think Syracuse can beat any team in the ACC if they show up and play their worst game. I don't know if Syracuse is at that level that I think UNC, FSU, and Clemson are at where it doesn't really t- matter what type of effort you bring. It's going to be a competitive game throughout. I think Miami is, I think Miami's the upper end of that spectrum where you look and say like, okay, if Miami plays Clemson and Clemson brings 110%. How close of a game is it? It's probably close. I still think that Syracuse would get blown out by Florida state or UNC or Clemson if they bring their best effort. But I do think that there is a real path here for the orange to finish top five or top six in the ACC, just based off of their schedule and the way that things break. So I, I'm incredibly, even with all of the injury news that Syracuse is now dealing with, I feel pretty positive that this team will go bowling. They will hit the over on the six and a half, seven win projection that most people had them at. Um, And they are going to be in a very awkward situation where they are going to probably have to extend Dino Babers for a decent amount of time because next year is the last year of his deal. And if he does bring the team to a pretty high profile bowl game, they're going to have to pay him some money. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not even counting. If he manages to get a win against the sort of murderers row that's coming, which is Clemson, North Carolina and Florida state back to back to back. Two of those three are on the road. And if he pulls out a win against one of them, Now, this is a huge season. Now he's getting a big contract extension. It's really interesting. I think Syracuse is kind of having a season not too dissimilar to what a lot of people expected from Pitt. And then Pitt is having a season not too dissimilar of what people expected from Syracuse. So I think our our programs might have done a Freaky Friday swap at some point. (laughs) It's always funny to me that Syracuse and Pitt are only linked together because of Syracuse and Pitt fans. When in reality, like, again, it's Northeast football. This is actually like one of the most historic rivalries in all of college football. Nobody cares. Uh, It's but there is always some sort of weird parallel situation happening with these two programs and just makes this podcast even more fun. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And so, yeah, Syracuse, they're three and oh, we'll talk when we get to previews. We'll talk about their upcoming game against Army. But there's a good shot that the orange can go four and oh in the non-conference. And then we really find out a lot because they play three of the toughest teams, the three toughest teams, arguably in the ACC back to back to back. And then from then on, it's again, it's just all ACC games. So I agree with you. I think they'll get, uh, they'll go bowling. They'll get seven wins. I think this will be a good season, but we just don't know how good it'll be if they can be in that upper echelon yet, just based on the level of competition, because they don't start ACC play until week five. One more game we really want to talk about, and that is Louisville versus Indiana. We are all in on these ACC Big Ten matchups. We were talking <laughs> last week about ACC versus the SEC. This week, it's ACC versus Big Ten. Louisville defeats the Hoosiers in this game. 21 to 14. What was so impressive to me was the fourth quarter that the Cardinals put up. They had a goal line stand. Indiana went to tie the game. They had all four downs on the goal line. I believe they were right at the one and Louisville's defense stopped them. They stopped them. They got the ball back. And not only were they able to maybe move the ball a couple yards down the field, punt it. And then the defense has to stop them again, because when they got the ball back, Louisville, 
there were still just under five minutes left. There was a lot of time for them to give Indiana the ball back and for the Hoosiers to tie the game, perhaps win. Louisville's offense spent almost five minutes, the last almost five minutes of this game, just methodically moving the ball down the field, killing clock. They didn't let Indiana touch the ball again in that game. They beat Indiana. Just a big win for a Louisville team that looks a lot better than I think either of us thought going into this season. Now with a win at Georgia Tech, at Indiana, neither one was the prettiest victory, the most dominant victory, but you've got a 3-0 and team. They're, they've got a somewhat easy schedule. They don't have to face Florida State. They don't have to face Clemson. Uh, they don't even have to face North Carolina. So this is a Louisville team that they can really rack up some wins. What did you see from this victory over Indiana? I think talking about Louisville and Syracuse back-to-back is really interesting because I think that there's a ton of parallels between the two teams. Just looking at their SP Plus rankings, Louisville's 34th, Syracuse is 35th. Louisville is ranked 45th on offense, Syracuse is ranked 42nd. Louisville is ranked 30th in defense. Syracuse is ranked 31st in defense. Like, like statistically, these teams are performing about the same and have about the same profile, which I think is fascinating because Louisville is in a situation where they have a brand new head coach who obviously is coming in with a ton of pedigree uh, in Jeff Brom from Purdue, but is dealing with a bit of a you weren't sure how, you weren't sure how much talent Louisville had left, and I think. This is another example of a team that has really leveraged the transfer portal really well. Their starting running back is Jawar Jordan, who is a former Syracuse recruit uh, who transferred after Sean Tucker blew up and became the school's third all-time leading rusher, and he realized he wasn't going to get any touches. So I do not begrudge him from leaving that situation, but you see the talent. Like he, Jawar Jordan is a, was a three-star from Long Island, New York. T- typical Northeast overlooked football prospect that Louisville has found – he had over 160 yards uh, in the win. Jack Plummer, uh, a quarterback who has been playing since 2019, uh, he is looking really solid and is a player who averaged 10 yards per attempt this past game. Uh, you know, this is something where I am genuinely impressed with how this roster has been constructed using the transfer portal. And unlike Pitt, they are getting immediate dividends from these skill position players that they had to bring in from outside of the program. So I, I think it's really safe to say that I like Syracuse. I think Louisville is going to be a team that I think if you don't bring your best effort, Louisville is going to defeat you. Uh, I don't know if they're good enough to necessarily take down Clemson or FSU or UNC on their best day, but as you mentioned, those teams aren't on the schedule and you can only play the games that are in front of you. And Louisville has a very sneaky path to finishing top three in the ACC. Uh, You know, right now you assume that FSU is going to be one of the top two. We'll find out this weekend if Clemson is going to be joining them. UNC has some tough games up on the schedule and it now turns into this very awkward, like not awkward situation, but really interesting situation where Louisville has to play Notre Dame, but that's not going to count towards the conference record. And their toughest road games are at Pitt and at Miami. And we're still not 100% sure about Miami, but I think that there is a very legitimate path here to uh, Louisville 
only having one ACC loss going into that game against Miami. And that's when they, they host Duke in a game that should be really fun. Uh, otherwise, this is, this is a team that, if they beat that Duke team, is going to be in the driver's seat for the ACC title game, which is not a sentence I thought you'd tell me at the beginning <laughs> of the season. But like, if you're just looking at the math right now, this is a team that I'm all of a sudden thinking about, yeah, 10 wins is on the table here. 10 wins is very much on the table for Louisville, which is insane. It is absolutely wild. I'm not sure what the over-under was going into the season, but I guarantee you it was not close to 10 wins. I mean, this, this I'm a big believer in Jeff Brom. I think he did an amazing job at Western Kentucky. I actually thought he did a good job at Purdue. Now he wasn't great, but that is a that's a tough place to win. And this job in particular, he's from Louisville. He went to Louisville. This is his dream job. And I just think, as you said, the way he's done with the transfer portal, I'm also not a big believer in Scott Satterfield, who was the Louisville head coach. So I think a combination of those things means that this is going to be a quicker turnaround for this program than any of us thought. And this year, they could absolutely get to eight, nine, even 10 wins. And next year, even against tougher competition, they could be a team that is competitive to make an ACC championship game. I think this could be a very fast turnaround for Louisville. And as you said, the game's coming up. Boston College, NC State, Notre Dame, obviously going to be tough. Pitt, not looking very good at the moment. Duke, that'll be tough. Virginia Tech, Virginia should be two wins. And then at Miami, and then a non-conference game against Kentucky to close out the season. This Things just seem to be going very well for Louisville thus far. And yeah, right now, if I am Jeff Brom, I'm feeling really good about the situation that has landed him back at his alma mater that has Louisville as, again, what could be a top team in the ACC this season. Again, absolutely wild. None of us thought it could happen, but here we are. Uh, Let's just uh, go through some of the other scores, and then we'll take a quick break around the ACC. On Thursday, Miami defeated Bethune-Cookman. 48-7. 48-7. to seven. On Friday, Virginia fell to Maryland, 42-14. to 14. Then on Saturday, pretty wild games. Wake Forest and Old Dominion. Wake got out of there with a 27-24 to 24 victory. Old Dominion seemed to have that game in the bag. There were two remarkable plays on defense from Old Dominion. Lamarion James, who had a scoop and score and a pick six in that game. And somehow Wake Forest, at one point, they were down 24 to 7, and they came back, scored 20 unanswered, won that game 27 to 24. That game was absolute chaos. And to plug another podcast here on the FFSN College Football Network, fourth quarter chaos with myself and Matt Tamanini. We'll certainly be talking about that game. That game was bonkers. <laughs> It absolutely bonkers, but one of the things that I think is the most interesting, I really like using uh, Bill C's SP plus post game win expectancy. It basically tries to say, look, football is chaotic, but if you just take the stats, if you take what happened in the game, is the result to be expected? Wake Forest's, uh, even though they only won by three points, the expected margin was right around three points. It's Wake Forest. The team in Wake Forest's position wins that game 77% of the time. Those defensive t- Outside of those defensive touchdowns, Wake Forest was driving on Old Dominion. And Wake Forest, we'll get into it in the previews, uh, but Wake Forest is one of these teams that I officially 
have no idea uh, what to make of at this point in time. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely not a clue. Uh, NC State beat uh, VMI 45-7. to Duke beat Northwestern 38-14 to to stay undefeated. Virginia Tech lost to Rutgers 35-16. to Ole Miss beat Georgia Tech 48-23. And Clemson defeated FAU 48 to 14. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to talk about some of the most exciting games coming up in week four and give our top five power rankings. You're listening to Action Packed right here on the FFSN College Football Network. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach, you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back here on Action Packed with my co-host Andy Pregler. I'm Corey Cohen. So Andy, let's get into it. Week four coming up in the ACC. They're going into a couple weeks ago. We thought this was going to be a phenomenal week of ACC football. Primetime matchups, heavyweight bouts. Florida State versus Clemson, maybe a preview of the championship game. North Carolina versus Pitt, the winner could maybe get into the ACC championship game. Now it's it's not looking too thrilling from a national perspective. Let's talk still with the marquee game. That is Florida State versus Clemson coming up on uh, ABC at 12 noon. What do you expect to see from this one? Florida State looks shaky against Boston College. Clemson, maybe they figured things out now after big wins over Charleston Southern FAU. What could have been an ACC championship game, which Florida State are you expecting to see? Which Clemson are you expecting to see? I feel like we don't know a lot about both of these squads. Yeah, for me, this is a really interesting one. Uh, SP Plus has Clemson ranked 12th in the country, FSU ranked 13th in the country. Biggest difference is that, you know, Clemson has the better defense, FSU has the better offense. But the big question mark that I have is special teams on Clemson. Like, this has been a in the years that Clemson is not good, special teams ends up being a mess. And we have seen that already in one loss this year where the Clemson special teams are just not where they need to be. 
I think Clemson has played some – the last six quarters of football that they've played have looked really well. And you can argue that Clemson might be peaking at the right time here. That is a totally valid argument. However, I do think that Florida State is going to bring in a level of explosiveness that Clemson has yet to deal with in any game this year. We, we talk about it every time with Florida State. You've got Jordan Travis. You've got those monsters at wide receiver who are just physically creating matchup problems for you week in and week out. To me, this game goes one of two ways. Either Florida State does what we think Florida State does, and they blow out Clemson, and they win this game by a touchdown or more. Or I think Clemson's defense shows us what we thought they were going to be, and the Florida State defense being less than ideal uh, gives Clemson the opportunity to get by. But for me, I I believe I, I I believe in Clemson in this game. I really do think that they can be win this one. Death Valley is a hard place to win if you're an opposing team. But I think that for Florida State, Jared Verse is the most important person on the field. There are still plenty of question marks about this Clemson offensive line. It has looked significantly better the last two games playing against less than ideal competition. If Jared Verse can single-handedly disrupt that defensive line and allow Florida State's defense to consistently drop many guys back and keep a very minimal amount of players involved in pressuring the quarterback, Clemson's offense doesn't have the horses uh, to do what it needs to do uh, to beat Florida State. But if the Clemson offensive line is able to neutralize uh, Jared Verse, they're able to run the ball with Will Shipley. I think that Clemson can control the tempo of this game, keep that high-octane FSU offense off the field, and I think Clemson can win this game and throw the ACC into chaos. That would be wild. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Looking at this game right now, Florida State, a slight favorite, but it's almost a coin flip. They're playing in Death Valley, really tough place to play. Dabo Sweeney. It's tough to bet against him, but Florida State does look really, really good outside of the game against Boston College. It's going to be just get your popcorn ready every time the Florida State's offense and Clemson's defense is on the field. Those possessions are going to be really fun to watch. I think Florida State wins by four points, maybe six points, but I I do think it'll actually be a great game even though it's not necessarily the primetime matchup that people thought it was going to be entering the season. But you know that Clemson's going to give them everything they have because Clemson knows that if they lose this game, their season is over. And Clemson doesn't care about a 9 or a 10-win season. To them, it's win the ECC, maybe make the playoff, or bust. And that's what their expectation level is. They know that with the Duke loss and a Florida State loss, they cannot win the ACC they most likely, and they would certainly cannot win the playoff and uh, make it to the playoff. Excuse me. So I think Clemson gives them one hell of a battle. I still think Florida state edges out Clemson in this one, but I do think this is going to be a thrilling game and a must watch game at, at 12 noon. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for this game. I think it's going to be a great time had by all, except for the, except for the guys playing in the game, <laughs> because this is going to be physical. This is going to be intense, but I'm, I'm really here to um, see how this whole thing plays out just because it's going to teach us so much about Clemson's ability to bounce back after the adversity of week one 
and show us where FSU is as the contender. I think going into that LSU game, it was really apparent that Mike Norvell and FSU had internalized the narrative that they were the underdogs in this game. You can't internalize that narrative anymore. And I want to know how Florida State responds when they are the alpha of the conference playing against a team that can theoretically beat them. You'd be shocked how many teams and coaches can still claim to be an underdog that no one believed in them when they are by far the favorites. Looking at Kirby Smart in Georgia, looking at a bunch of teams, anyone that's ever been a favorite will always claim no one believed in us. So uh, <laughs> that is you know, true. Yeah. So we'll we'll see if if they're able to uh, if they have to internalize that. It's going to be fun, and it it is at noon, and there's really nothing else happening at that time. On Fox, they've got Oklahoma versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati just lost to Miami of Ohio. No one is really going to be paying attention to that. There are some great games on at 3.30. There are great games on at night. But Clemson FSU, I think all the eyeballs will be on at uh, at noon. And that should be a thrilling game. Uh, your Orange have a game coming up against Army. Now, Cle- uh, excuse me, Syracuse looking to go to 4-0. and oh. What do you expect to see out of this game, Syracuse versus Army, also at noon? No offense to not much else going on at noon, but on the (laughs) ACC network, uh, Syracuse 14-point favorites against Army. Yeah, I do not think this game is going to be all that close. I I think one of the interesting things about Army that if you have not watched them yet this year, due to changes in how the NCAA has governed chop blocks outside of the tackle boxes, Army is no longer running the traditional triple option. They are still running an option-heavy attack. It's just out of the shotgun formation. Uh, Army, in their upset win over UTSA this past Saturday, only ran two plays under center, and those were in the victory formation for Neil Downs at the end of the game. So they they had a quarterback who threw for over 100 yards. They're still getting multiple 100-yard rushers. They're just doing it out of a very different look. And I think that for a lot of teams – this is going to be a bit of a, a challenge. Just ask UTSA. However, I think Syracuse is uniquely well-equipped to handle it because they run a 3-3-5. They are running an undersized, very fast, athletic-based defense, and they are using 3-3-5 schematically in order to make up for the fact that they can't go one-on-one man coverage against most teams' wide receivers. They need to bring pressure from a variety of different looks and leverage undersized linebackers that can run faster than your typical big body guy can. Unfortunately for Army, their offense is also trying to do that exact same concept. And I think that it, this is one of those games where the Army – the army scheme is going to match up against a traditional defense and cause problems. It's running up against the scheme that is almost uniquely set up to shut down what army does well. So I think that Syracuse is very well positioned to shut down the army offense, score enough points on their own with a very limited offense uh, and set themselves up nicely. Biggest, biggest worry for Syracuse is just don't look ahead to the Clemson game. They it, it came out today. Syracuse Clemson next week will be a noon ABC game. It's Syracuse's homecoming game. There's going there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Syracuse players to look at beyond this Army game and start thinking about Clemson. Uh, this, just don't do that. Don't pull what FSU did. Take care of business. Win the game by a lot. Move on. Absolutely, I think Syracuse as long as they're able to, as you said, 
avoid the trap game, avoid the look ahead game to Clemson next week. I think it should be fairly comfortable for Syracuse. A game that we might learn something about Wake Forest coming up. Georgia Tech first Wake on the CW at 6:30. Wake right now 3 and 0, but we don't really know what to make of that. They beat Elon, they beat Vanderbilt, and then they just barely escaped with a victory over Old Dominion, pulling off a remarkable comeback. I genuinely have no idea what to make of Wake Forest. I think we know roughly what Georgia Tech is, a decent team, so it could be a good measuring stick. Right now, Wake, three-and-a-half-point favorites. But, man, battle of the, the gold ACC teams, I'm really not sure what to make of, of this game. I have a lot of questions about Wake Forest. I think that they are a well-coached program that has a very high floor. And it's always about trying to figure out where the ceiling is for this program. And so far this season, they have played Vanderbilt, Old Dominion, and Elon. And against Elon, they only won by 20 points. They obviously only beat Old Dominion by three in a game that was really, you know, close because of the the turnovers. And they dominated a Vanderbilt team by 16 points in a game that this box score says should have been a one-score game. So I don't know if Wake Forest is going to perpetually just play everybody close and they're going to be that team this year that, you know, is 7-0 and in one-score games or something absolutely ridiculous and unsustainable. But I'd like to see Wake Forest stand up and join Syracuse and Louisville in as that group of teams that is like classic ACC. Really solid, not elite, going to be a pain in the ass. They're going to win eight games, and you're going to look back at the year and go, oh, that was a really nice year. I just think that right now Wake is Wake has all of the warning signs of a team that could collapse during the stretch run of an ACC schedule once they start playing teams consistently that have a lot of film on them and are able to exploit the things that they do not do well. So it's all to me it's like one of these very it's a tentpole game for Wake Forest in the sense that I would like to see Wake Forest be a bit more dominant. And, a, and I think that they are better than what we have seen so far. But it's also interesting to me because if this game is close, I don't think it would surprise anybody because like you said, I this Georgia Tech team is showing a little bit more life than I thought that they were they were going to have. Yeah, I do think it'll be fairly close because Georgia Tech is a solid team this year. But Wake, it could go either way. We'll find out about this game and then they've got at Clemson, but they're in a position where they could rack up quite a few wins because yeah, they've got at Clemson. Yeah. They've got Florida state. They also have at Notre Dame again, not on the conference schedule and they have at Duke, but some of these other games we're wondering like, is this, is this wake team a team that can beat Georgia tech, Virginia tech, Pitt, NC state, maybe Syracuse, or are they a team that's going to lose most of those games? And we're really not sure at this point. For me, looking at personally at Pitt's schedule and trying to figure out, okay, how many wins do I think this team can get if the offense continues as it does? And right now I'm at about three, maybe four. But for me, Wake is that's I can't figure it out because I just don't know enough about them. I can predict, yeah, I think Pitt loses to Syracuse now, and I think Pitt loses to Duke now and things like that. I'm not sure about Wake because I just don't really know what to make of them. If they look good against Georgia Tech, yeah, I think I would probably predict that 
they could beat Pitt at home. They could beat Virginia Tech on the road. They could beat NC State. We just don't know if they're in that tier, as you mentioned. Yeah, I. this is the classic. I, I mean, it's Wake Forest. They are a classic ACC team. But this is the classic ACC football team. You see on paper lots of things to make you feel positive. You then look at the actual games and you go, I some, something's not passing the sniff test here. And the entire season, you're just going like, I don't actually know what can happen here. Um, so for me, I, I think it is, I, I am I am really excited to see what happens here. That That is, um, I think that this game could be uh, really fun and interesting. It could also be a Wake Forest blowout. And that would reaffirm a lot of suspicions that I had from the beginning of the season. It'll be a very interesting game. Last game we want to talk about, <sighs> my pit panthers <laughs> hosting and <laughs> hosting north carolina what was a, originally again thought this could be a battle for maybe who's the third best team in the acc maybe even a chance to be the second and get into the championship game north carolina's still there pit has not held up their end of the bargain it'll be at eight o'clock on the acc network uh this one we originally thought this could be just maybe a back and forth offensive shootout sort of game right now. This is looking to me like Drake may is going to do Drake may things. Now I don't think he puts up 40 something points. Cause I think the pit defense is pretty darn good, but there is no way in hell that the pit offense is going to be able to match the Tar Heels right now, North Carolina. It actually started, I believe at a six-point spread for UNC, it's now all the way up to seven and a half because I think every Pitt fan saw that and said there's no way in hell that Pitt is going to hold North Carolina to that. I just I see an interesting game when North Carolina has the ball against Pitt's defense, but oh, I think it's going to be ugly when North Car- or when Pitt has the ball trying to do something. North Carolina's defense. What what are you looking for in this game? I would like to see some signs of life from the pit defense and holding down an elite offensive opponent, but you're, you're right. I think that there's a good chance that the pit defense is out there for 70 some odd snaps and no defense is going to look good when you're on the field that much against a quarterback as good as Drake may. So even though I think we can probably come away from this game, feeling pretty positive about the pit defense, I highly doubt that the pit offense is going to do much of anything. If they do, it will be interesting if only because the narrative around UNC has consistently been, how good is this defense actually? And the answer is, I don't think any of us particularly know because of the level of competition that they've played and because of the results in some of those games. Right now, SP Plus has UNC with the 53rd best defense in the country, which is bad. Uh, And part of that is because of what happened in the Appalachian State game. But they shut down Minnesota, who had an anemic offense. They were able to handle South Carolina, who put up less points against UNC than they did against Georgia. Uh, And to me... I think that this is going to be a very interesting tent pole measuring game for the UNC defense, because if the pit offense is as bad as expected, UNC might pitch a shutout. And to me, that would be a statement of intent uh, for UNC in the ACC uh, title chase. Absolutely. I do think if there's one chance that Pitt could have, it would be 
ideally not with Phil Dracovic on the field, but with, with a backup Christian Veyer and running a heavy run first offense in the West Virginia game. The first drive, I think it was maybe eight straight running plays from the pit offense. And they worked the ball all the way down to the goal line. They weren't able to score a touchdown because eventually West Virginia figured that Pitt wasn't going to pass the ball. Pitt didn't pass the ball. They stuffed the box. And that was that. But if you get a quarterback in there, to just be a game manager. If you bring in Christian Veyer in his first start for Pitt and you have him go in there and this is a run-heavy offense, but every now and again, you can pass when North Carolina is expecting a run. You can pass for 10 yards, move the chains. Pitt is a slow-moving offense. If they can move slowly and methodically down the field and keep Drake May off the field, maybe Pitt can keep it close. But to me, that's the only hope is that you change the quarterback you keep things slow but moving on offense and then just hope that your defense is plays like one of the best in the ACC, which I still think that they probably are. But against Drake May, he's going to get his no matter who the defense is. Yeah, and I think that this is – there is, again, the reason that we thought this game was going to be interesting preseason was never because we thought that the pit offense was going to be firing on all cylinders scoring 35 points a game. We thought it was because, the, like you said, the pit, there's a game script to beating North Carolina that Pitt can execute thanks to its really solid defense and the ability to control the ground game and win the trench battle when Pitt has the ball. I would really like to see that happen, but without a quarterback who you actually have any level of concern with, uh, that you know you're gonna you're gonna need to gonna need to change things up. Yeah, it's. Uh... We'll learn a lot. We'll learn a lot just based on who the quarterback is starting on Saturday night. That's on the ACC network. So before we go, we've got to do our power rankings. Florida State, they struggled against Boston College. They were number one last week for both of us. Are they still your number one? Still my number one, even though I don't necessarily love the performance. It's just that I don't feel confident about any other ACC team's performance to say, yes, um, usurp Florida State. How about yourself? Yeah, I still have Florida State number one, and we'll we'll learn a lot about them against Clemson. Who is your number two? Is it still North Carolina? I am going to keep North Carolina at number two. I think that uh, they are – I still really like what North Carolina is doing on offense, and their defense – is yet to give me concern that they will blow up and give up, you know, 50 points a game yet. Uh, but my number three team is catching up to them pretty quickly. Uh, All right. and who is, uh, who is your number two team, Corey? My number two is UNC, but you've teased it. Now we got to hear who's your number three. We're going power rankings. It's about what you've done for me lately. And like I said, the last six quarter of Clemson Tigers football has me a bit hyped about what's going to happen in Death Valley on Saturday. So I'm going to put Clemson at number three. Sorry, Duke. Uh, sorry, Miami. Sorry, everyone. I just really like what, uh, what's been going, going on uh, with Babo Sweeney's team. Okay, it's funny. I actually moved Clemson up as well, but not quite to number three. I still have Duke at number three. I like what they've done. They they didn't have any trouble with these games they shouldn't have had trouble with. I still have Duke three. Then I have Clemson number four. I had them five last week. I have them at four now. Who do you have it for? I have uh, I have Miami at number four. Um, you know, when you play Bethune-Cookman, you're not going to learn a whole lot, but 
they won that game pretty convincingly. Tyler Van Dyke had another couple of touchdowns. Um, so I, I have Miami up there at number four, and then the aforementioned Duke Blue Devils that you have uh, at number three. I have them at number five. Okay, and then I have Clemson at four, and then I have Miami at five. So we do have the same five teams, but just in a slightly different order. But I've got to say, there are some teams knocking on the door. Syracuse is right there. Louisville's right there. I mean, there are some teams that are coming close here. So it's going to be very interesting after this week. Say if Clemson loses, do they fall out of the top five? What happens with UNC if Pitt gives them a battle? I mean, there's a lot on the line here. So we could see a shakeup next week. But we've talked about last week, we were hoping that there would be six or seven teams that could compete for a top five. And I think right now there, there are. It's there's some competition in a pretty deep ACC this year. I wanted to throw Syracuse in there, but the Miami win over Texas A&M is still better than any win that Syracuse has. You know, Duke beat Clemson, who I have number three up there. And it's just that, you know, Duke does not play a type of football that's going to inspire you and go, oh, man, this team might be the best in the ACC, but they've yet to lose any games. So I, I think that we are now getting to a point where there are a lot of ACC teams that start looking good. Once they start playing each other, it's going to make this exercise all the more entertaining. Yeah, and just to preview again, after this upcoming week, Syracuse versus Clemson could be for a spot in our power rankings. So that'll do it for this episode of Action Packed. Andy Pregler, please tell all of our wonderful listeners where they can follow you, find you, all that good stuff. Yeah, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at AC Pregler. Make sure that you listen to the main fans first football feed for my show Level Up with Big G. That will be coming out around the same time as this episode. Uh, and check out my Substack, acpregler.substack.com. If you are a Syracuse fan, if you want to get this podcast sent to your inbox every week, I make sure to embed this show, my Level Up show, and my Disloyal Idiot show in every single post that I do because I understand that there's just a lot of internet to consume out there. There's definitely a lot. Uh, folks, you can find me uh, over at the Pit Talk Network. Please subscribe. If you want to hear thoughts about Pitt, we've got a fiery episode coming out this week of Football Unscripted about that West Virginia game. Uh, so over on Pit Talk Network, you can find me on Twitter at Corey E. Cohen, uh, also on Blue Sky and all the socials. And uh, you can find us right here. So please follow, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast to the FFSN College Football Feed for new episodes every week of Action Pack. We will see you next week to talk about another exciting slate of ACC football. For Andy Pregler, I'm Corey Cohen. See you next time on Action Packed. <laughs>